Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome to a very, very happy episode of Left on Red. What a perfect day, brilliant day, couldn't have gone any better. Oh. Sort of started for me waking up maybe 10am or something along those lines, yeah. going for a walk with the dog and my dad and chatting about tactics and I was getting really nervous, didn't oh. really know what to think. It, the pre-Derby day nerves are the worst. It's I just, just stitch in my stomach for about oh. half an hour, an hour. It, it, there's actual, there's pain, lunch. there's real pain. I couldn't eat before the game, I was just like... Because yeah. you can't contemplate losing at home to Spurs. It's no. not exce- it, it doesn't exist in my mind as a and possibility. It, I think yesterday actually felt like much bigger of an occasion than Derby Day usually does. It felt like that this game was really sort of like a season swinger. When you place the context of this match in terms of us losing the first three games, then winning the first three games, and then the two uh, consequent games being flipped around up where we win two and they lose two. Yeah. When you put that against the backdrop of how mighty the North London derby is and what it means for both sets of fans, the nerves are just going to multiply, aren't they? Exactly. Yeah, it would have been a big, a big game even if it wasn't against Spurs. But the fact that it was against Spurs and at home, the first derby back with fans, it was just... I think we talked about Norwich and Burnley being a double hinge turning point. I wouldn't say this match was a turning point. I'd say this was a a driving forward yeah. leap bound of positivity from Nicola Arteta. I, I find it hard to see how some fans can't back him at least, whether you still deep down believe he's the right man or not, not to back him for the upcoming fixtures after yeah. that. That was an incredible performance. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's it, it's one of those games that if you didn't see Burnley as a turning point or Norwich as a turning point because they were those 1-0 sort of scrappy wins that didn't really involve any really good football or... I was thinking afterwards that after the Spurs match yesterday imagine if we hadn't beaten Burnley that game was so vital yeah, yeah. yesterday doesn't happen without that Burnley finish. no exactly yeah and I but I think yesterday was so much more joyful because of the performance as well. I agree I think it was a springboard rather than a platform which the Norwich and Burnley game definitely yeah were. I mean we're that that's the best football I think I've seen Arteta's side play um, yes. Sort of a first half route of your closest rivals is just exactly what you need and what you want to see. As Absolutely. The best football we've played under him so far. I mean, we've had some scouts, we've beaten some big teams in important matches under him, but they were in back three systems, small defensive yeah. systems where we were underdogs. Yesterday, we absolutely annihilated yeah. a very, and very depleted Spurs side. You know, those those games we've had before have not been with the free-flowing attacking football that we played yesterday. It was so cohesive, wasn't yeah. it? I think, you know, as much as we all slated Arteta first three games, me included, I think there's not someone that deserves a victory like that more than him. I think he's handled this all so well, the external pressure. Well, let's not get too far ahead of ourselves, but since Edu came out after the Manchester City hammering and suggested that he just wanted to see our actual first 11 or our first team squad available for selection and play together, we've been unbeaten. 
And when you look back and think we played Champions of Europe, Champions of England, and sort of a raucous atmosphere away at a new stadium. Well, who, who took points who took off points Liverpool. Of Liverpool? As you said in, in I think, our first episode, mm. a lot of teams will drop points there. Yeah. And when you consider that we didn't have a striker, didn't have a left winger, and had multiple key injuries as well, mm. in those first three games, of course it's unacceptable, but the club and the staff delivered on what they suggested. Yeah. What they hinted towards was that that isn't the level that this Arsenal team will perform at for the rest of the season. Yeah, and exactly. they're starting to prove that to us. Yeah. So just before the game, um, me and my brother had a little encounter with the lovely group of Spurs fans that walk past our house every year. Beautiful. They, uh, you sort of, you hear the muffled noise of them coming up the road and we both race to the window. Usually I'm really scared of them. This year I didn't feel as scared of them, but still I wouldn't have done what I Why do you think that was? I don't know. I, I, I think I'd miss them in a sense. You'd miss the, the rivalry and the fierce. Yeah spark of hatred that two sets yeah. of fans can deploy against each other and I'd missed I think I'd missed that fear in a sense which the fear gets you going it's yeah. a driving force inside your belly it's and what I, sparks the nerves but it's also what makes football so beautiful when you win I think yeah and I, I, I hadn't felt like that about a game for such a long time but anyway I, I didn't feel as ready as my brother seemed to who decided that it'd be a good idea to Whip his shirt off right in front of the Spurs fans and Class. riled them right really, up as they walked past the house. From him. Yeah, my dad was walking down the road on the on the way to come and um, to come and meet us, and he just saw this massive group of Spurs fans like waving at this house, like doing all the wanker signs. Okay, and he just yeah, thought, oh no, Jesse's been an idiot. Again. <laughs> but you know that was fair. And then we had a disastrous experience of actually getting into the ground where we just we we go our usual way across the danny danny fisman bridge brilliant um for anyone that doesn't know lowell has a superstition where before every single home game he must go over this bridge to get to the stadium rather than any of the other bridges around the emirates have to go over that bridge it's the one just in front of the big concrete letters um so we were walking to go over that bridge and there are a few police there, as they usually are, as the Spurs fans sort of went in, but they all seemed to be in there. The police then decided that they'd stop a group, it was about 100 Arsenal fans on the bridge at the start. Right. They stopped us all, said, right, you're not coming over the bridge. Then that group started to gather. Then they led us to the end of the bridge, okay. where they stopped us again. And there are about 1,000 of us now. Like all sort of really. So they're being over precautious then. Yeah, I think over precautious, but also just causing a bit of trouble themselves. Because we were sort of like everyone was getting. They wanted to get involved in the fierce. Yeah, I reckon. Atmosphere in the day, didn't they? But everyone was getting a bit sort of riled up, and the nerves were so evident on that bridge. Everyone just wanted to get out of this like little pent up sort of corner on the bridge where they were keeping us all in. Well, those nerves were unleashed into an electric atmosphere that, oh, that we haven't seen that often at the Emirates. No, I mean, when the when the police let us through, it was like greyhounds leaping through the gates. Bounding. Everyone, everyone into wanted to get right in. Yeah, and I mean, the sort of, whether the atmosphere was just because of how big of an occasion it was or whether it was a, a mask for the nerves that everyone was feeling, doesn't really matter, but it was... That, I think that was the best I've seen the Emirates. I think it's right up there. It's interesting, actually. At the end of the match, my dad said, 
this is one of the first times that I've been inside the Emirates and I thought I was inside of Highbury yeah. during a match. So the party atmosphere. Mm. And it had that real sort of um, close feeling that you don't really did, get quite The stadium often. felt smaller than it yeah. was on the day, which is probably why my dad's suggesting that mm. the stadium felt like it was inside of Highbury. It felt together, tight, compact, there was yeah. a unity. Yeah. And, and everyone was clapping, it really felt joyful. And the, and the booing, and cheerful. And the booing when Spurs got the ball, just like, it, it felt like actually we'd created quite a daunting atmosphere for a team to come and play. It felt familial as well. Yeah. And also, just the goal celebrations. It Like, I haven't seen them that raucous at the Emirates for so long. We were sent into absolute delirium, oh. weren't we? They were three of those goals where you're just, you're hugging anyone hugging around you. any you, Tom, Dick or Harry, just any yes. any random geezer around you. You're slapping everyone. I've, I've got a fair few punches in the head yesterday. Yeah, and you just don't feel it. You just don't. You don't feel the it. The adrenaline's pumping through you, so oh. you just don't feel it whatsoever. They were fantastic. And, I, I, you know, that first half was probably... Probably the best I've seen at the Emirates, I reckon. I mean, it's in, in sort of scoreline and urgency to score early and win the game and yeah, kill the game. Yeah, it was slightly reminiscent of Chelsea three 0 where Mesut Özil scored the volley. Yeah, and United three 0 with Alexis Flick and Liverpool. And Liverpool, yeah. yeah. But being against Spurs, it just felt so much bigger. But also it magnified that that feeling yeah. of emotion, didn't it? But I don't know about you, but I I couldn't have picked three players that I'd rather have scored in that game. Aubameyang sort of hadn't scored for a while, lost a bit of confidence, scores a brilliant goal. It was a brilliant goal. Really, really well taken. Oh, flowing break. Fantastic. Smith Rowe, Arsenal boy. I really enjoyed, and I thought this was the perfect time to start integrating the um, the amazing Saka and Smith Rowe song Mm. into the home crowd because it's been really... um, We've also, just to stick it out there, we've had um, requests from some people to sing the Saka and Smith Rowe chant. Have we? I think we're just going to give it a little go. Do you want to? Okay, so we'll go three, two, one. I like it, I like it, I like it, I like it a lot. Oh, here we go. Saka and Emil Smith Rowe. That is the tune of Rocking All Over the World by Status Quo, if you didn't know. Which Brilliant is a, tune. Yeah, quite a good song, actually. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, that also, I really enjoyed the constant ringing around the Emirates Stadium of Tottenham get battered everywhere they go. No. It was brilliant. I haven't really heard that, the Emirates in the North London Derby. No. Before, but it, I'm- I'd heard it, um, I think it probably came from uh, the Euros, because I heard it quite a lot with uh, Scotland. Scotland get battered. I've also heard a lot of Sunderland get battered by Newcastle fans on social media. But it really felt like we were just hammering, just penetrating and hammering the Spurs fans out of the stadium. It was like it was our fortress. And that song was just forcing to evacuate the the stadium. Yeah, and properly sort of rubbing salt in the wound. And then you always, I always love a chant of we can see you sneaking out. Oh, and is there a fire drill? It's brilliant. It doesn't really get much better than that. But as as I said in my piece as well, me and my dad were talking about only, I mean, when they scored their goal, obviously there were nerves, but only Arsenal fans would, would look at the sort of, the empty away end and think, oh shit, instead of like, oh, you know, we've scored so many that they've all left. Yeah. We think, oh shit, because of that like 4-4 game. And I think a lot of Arsenal fans will still remember 
The, That's daunted in the memory. There were about 300 Spurs fans still left, just going absolutely ballistic in that end. Yeah. And I'd, I was really, really hoping that we didn't see that again, and we didn't. No, we didn't. There was no chance. They were, they were dreadful. They were, they were really bad. And to be fair, I, I mean, it was, it was a mix of them being bad and us being really good, I thought. Well, the way I phrased it to my dad during the game was that we didn't have to be good, but we were good. Yeah. We didn't have to be good to beat them because exactly. they were so shambolic, yeah. but we were still good. Yeah, we didn't we didn't have to be playing at the level that we were playing at to beat them. No, we could have been two gears down and we would have beaten them. Yeah, and maybe it wouldn't have been as emphatic as it was, but it would have still been a result if we hadn't played how we played. Precisely. Yeah. But it was. I thought it was really important for morale of both team, manager and fans. For the performance to be of that higher calibre. Exactly. Yeah. And just before we get on to some tactical insight into why we think we perform so well, I'd just like to touch on some, some notes I made during half-time. I went for, for a typical half-time toilet break. Mm. And Needed. Yeah, the electricity from it outside in the seat, you know, yeah, 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 it was all flowed inside into the, into the inside area. And some people were saying some hilarious things. There were two mates who just sort of burst into the toilets and one said, it's all a dream, don't believe it, in a really <laughs> ironic tone. And his mate went, yeah, Mikel Arteta out, in a sort of sarcastic <laughs> way, as if to say, this is fantastical, this is like a magical realm, there's no way that we are performing this way and smashing spurs yeah. under this manager who everyone slated for the yeah. last six months. It was almost this sort of, I can't believe what I'm seeing with my own eyes. Somebody's telling me a lie yeah. type of atmosphere. And I don't, I don't think anyone could have sort of predicted that. I mean, I, we, you were asking me for predictions before the game and I, you said 2-1, and I said 3-1. I said I'd cry if we scored three. Yeah, that's what you, I you did. did. <laughs> you said I think I'd cry if we scored three goals. I was on the verge, yeah. yeah. And then also, at the end of the toilet break, there was another chap and he was saying, this is the best game in Premier League history. North London derby at the Emirates or at Highbury, it's always a cracker. There are always loads of goals. And it, and I got it me is. thinking, it always bloody it is, is, isn't it? You th- I mean, you think about it, especially, you know, with, with, with the fans in there. We've had, we had the two all two years ago. We had the, we had the four two. We've had the two five twos. We've had, I mean, uh, disastrously Spurs beating us three two. Three but two there's the comeback, always, yeah, horrible. there's always goals and there's always something amazing that happens. And the atmosphere is unparalleled. Oh, there you don't see the Emirates like that, unless it's a European night. No, exactly. Or it's Spurs or Chelsea at home. Yeah. All right. So now we're going to jump in to Harry's tactical masterclass for the week. Harry. Right. Well. So yesterday morning on a walk with the dog, as I mentioned earlier. Me and the old man were talking tactics, and he was asking me whether I thought slash preferred us to stick with the 4-3-3 that we saw away at Burnley last weekend, or revert to the 4-2-3-1 that we've seen more frequently under Arteta, mainly last season's system, really. Yeah. And I was in a bit of a conundrum. I didn't really know what I thought, because it depended on Spurs' midfield system, whether they played just Hoiberg as one number six and two number eights. Mm. with Ndombele and Deli Alli, or they played their more normal 4-2-3-1 where they've got Skipping Hoiberg in there protecting the back four. And I thought, I'd quite like to play a 4-3-3. However, if they're playing Ndombele and Alli, 
Mm. Let's go back to last year's system. Yeah. Because the pockets that were being left for Burnley's wide midfielders to exploit behind Odegaard and Smith Rowe, I thought that Ellie and then Dombele might exploit that even more than Burnley did. So I ended up deciding I wanted to stick with 43 1, which is what Arteta went for. He controversially brought back Jacker in. I think we could all see that coming. Which was so predictable. He had a good game though. He did. And I was thinking, okay, here we go. Pretty similar system to last season. There was a slight tweak. We last year built up a little bit more in a two-three-five, where Jacker would drop into sort of left quarterback zone, which would allow Tierney to bomb up. Yeah. And then the right back would have to come into sort of a right quarterback zone. Yeah. So equally, where Jacker was on the left side, on the right side of the pitch, and then the other player in the double pivot, Thomas Partey, would be yeah. in central. So that'd be a three in front of the two centre backs, and then you've got your five across the front of the pitch. Yesterday we played in build-up in a 3-2-5, so actually Tierney was still the left winger in a front five, Yeah. and then Tomiyasu tucked in and became the third centre-back, and Xhaka and Partey sat equally in the middle of the pitch, Yeah. which I thought gave us more of a defensive presence for counter-attacks it did. in transition. I, I, was, I was thinking yesterday as well, I think uh, as much as it's, you know, it's great seeing Odegaard, Smith-Rowe, Pepe, Saka and Aubameyang, in a sense, when when you play that double pivot, you're actually given more attacking freedom. Because if you've got Xhaka and Partey sitting there with the two centre-backs and with Tomiyasu, it then gives... Well, it's a, it's a, we essentially play the back three in Exactly. And it, it, but it then gives, as Tony Adams said, it, it gives your kids... The platform. The platform and the balance to actually drive up the pitch and do what they do going forward. Well, what it is, it's, it's a system that's more reliant on, so it's reliant on two players being the core cogs and those players have to have good games and that's Xhaka and Kieran Tierney. Mm. I was going to touch on this later but I'll say it now, this 4-2-3-1 system suits Kieran Tierney so much better than a 4-3-3. Yeah, it Essentially, really does. he's playing as a winger whereas in a 4-3-3, he's actually got to play as a left back yeah. in possession. But I think to be fair to him yesterday, there were quite a few instances where he was asked to defend and he did it really, really well. Well, he's defensively really good in 1-1. Yeah. It's more so the playing out yeah, that aspect and, which and he thrives off better in this system. Sometimes his uh, positioning, if you're playing in a 4-3-3, he needs to be a bit deeper than he usually is. It, precisely, that's why he suits this system yeah. more. Because he tends to sometimes launch it rather than exactly. be already in a wide position where he can have a 1v1 and whip it in the box. Yeah. So with this back three in transition we build out from the back, what it does is it allows Kirantini to play really high and outside on the left, Saka does the same, he holds the width on the right, and that therefore allows Smith Rowe to tuck in into the inside left channel, Odegaard goes to the inside right channel, and Aubameyang down the middle, so you've got a five of Tierney, Smith Rowe, Aubameyang, Odegaard, Saka, yeah. like that, with Xhaka and Partey just behind, and as you said, it creates a really nice platform for us to break lines and pick up pockets, mm. and have a good platform to create as well, which yeah, yeah. I thought it was our best creative performance of of the league so well, season. We were saying this in the so far. Um, we were saying in the previous episodes that creativity has been our probably probably our most weak spot this season. And we were saying, you know, there. I, I've always said to you that I think there is just going to be that point where it just clicks. It just clicks. and yesterday it clicked. It clicked. It was wonderful. I do want to touch a little bit on why I thought that was. Mm. Not to be too negative, because we don't take anything away from us. We were superb. Mm. But there were some reasons why we found it easier. Yeah. Essentially, the way Nuno Espirito Santo set Spurs up was shambolic. It was dire. It yeah. was dreadful. So many words you could use to describe it. 
clueless would be one. He played them in a 4-3-3 where Deli Ali was supposed to be a right number eight and Ndombele was supposed to be a left number eight and Hoiberg yeah. as a six. Essentially, they had no midfield. They were playing this circular donut system where Ndombele sort of went out to the left-hand side to join Reguillon and Son to try and overload Tomiyasu and Saka, mm. but they dealt with them fine. Deli Ali, instead of being a right number eight, went and played as a second striker. So he went and stood on Gabriel and yeah. stood on Ben White. Deli Ali didn't really touch the ball. No. And Hoiberg, who was meant to be the defensive midfielder, to be fair, when your two number eights have left you isolated, there's not much you can do. But he was just dropping in between their two centre-backs to try and pick up the ball. And they had nothing in midfield, which in turn, I thought, allowed for Smith and Odegaard to pick up these central pockets, which they did really well, and they linked the play yeah. beautifully. But I think that was a little reason for why mm. we got the ball in really good advanced positions and struggled less to create good opportunities. Yeah, and I just wanted to touch on a moment I thought really sort of swung the momentum in the derby. I thought for just before the first, I mean, obviously the first goal swung the momentum, but the first goal came from Ben White towering over Harry Kane to yes. win that header. Yeah. And I just thought, right... Here we go, this is... Well, I wanted to touch on that next, actually. Mm. So what's really important to consider when we think about Arteta, and actually it goes the same for Guardiola, because he's obviously learned a lot from him, is that his formation and his tactics are really malleable, so they change really neatly within matches. Yeah. So, for example, yesterday we were a 4-2-3-1 on paper, that's what we defended in. When we built up in the back, it became a 3-2-5, as we've already touched on. But when we pressed... We pressed in a 4-4-2. Yeah. So imagine the 4-2-3-1 system and then just take Odegaard away from being the number 10 mm. and being a second striker. Him and Aubameyang press as two strikers. Yeah. And they set the tempo so well. Oh, it was brilliant. I mean, seeing seeing Odegaard chase after uh, Lloris and Dyer, who looked really shaky. shaky, and Odegaard just sort of gesturing to the rest of his team and Aubameyang chasing, it was lovely. It was brilliant. Those two really did well. They set the traps and what Odegaard does really well when he presses, which is kind of reminiscent to Meza Ozil, Odegaard runs with a bit more intensity because he's physically a little bit different to Ozil, but they both do this thing where they curve their run, yeah. as if to say, you could go around me, but no, you're not. You have to go yeah, this yeah. way. So what it does is, Odegaard's three seconds in advance of that already read the pitch. He exactly. had a little look, he scanned the pitch, and he said, right, I'm going to bend my run this way to set the traps for the rest of my teammate to join my press because I'm going to make the keeper or the centre-back go in one direction. So that was really impressive. And I was saying to you um, just before, I mean, as brilliant as he was pressing and he had some, he started, you know, he linked pretty some, much. He linked the play up really yeah. well. He was involved in a lot of attacks. And he, he started the three attacks for the goals, I think. Um, but anyway, I, I was saying to you, I thought he got caught on the ball a bit too much yesterday and was a little bit less physical than he should have been in some of the challenges. And I was thinking potentially, having played in a North London derby before, but that derby being behind closed doors, had he mentally prepared himself for a very different game in terms of the physicality of it? Perhaps, yeah. Because he played without fans, because it's a different game. It's an absolutely different game. Having said that, though, he was up against Ndombele, who's naturally three times his strength. Yeah. Just linking back to what we were talking, discussing about with the pressing, so when we press them, this mirrors what we were discussing earlier about Spurs having nothing in midfield and there being lots of space in there. The combination of that and us pressing the living daylights out of them mm-hmm. basically resulted in Spurs' only game plan in the first half 
to lump it long and hope for the best with yeah. really inaccurate balls because the pressing was so good. Yeah. A and B because they had no structure in midfield, which C in light of that in turn allowed Odegaard and Smithrow to pick up those spaces. Yeah. So it was a really, really well knit together game plan from Arteta, I thought. But, helped by Spurs' game plan mm, being pretty dreadful. Yeah. But also I think in terms of those long balls, you know, looking at how Ben White was perceived in the first game where he wasn't as strong aerially and Tony dominated him. But I mean, you saw Tony dominate Van Dyke on Saturday. It was, yeah. He was winning everything. Yeah, battle to anyone. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, if they're playing those long balls, it's very easy, especially when you're up against someone as strong aerially as Kane, to, to let them knock them down, knock those balls down and let them attack from those long balls. But Gabriel and White really dealt with those long they balls. They dealt with them. And, what and really, so did Tommy Asses. What I've been, oh, Tommy Asses is unbelievable in the air. That what I've been really impressed with Ben White with is his anticipation. Yeah. So he may not win every header if it's an equal 50-50 chance of winning the ball aerially. He does when he can get in front. Yeah. But his anticipation when it's a 50-50 in the air mm. is... To just put his foot around and nick the ball. Yeah, he knows and where he the ball really is going. he does it really well. Mm. He did it against Harry Kane superbly, and he did it last week against Chris Wood superbly as well. And the final bit to discuss in that first half was that beautiful thing that was Saka's goal. As I say each episode, our star boy. Yeah, and I mean, the first great thing about it was Kane funnily losing his footing... Yes. In our own half, and then we Lovely picked up the ball. Game. Yeah, picked up the ball. Odegaard found Smith Rowe back out to Saka, who then drove, and then came busting a gut to get back. Trying slid to in, block Saka's yeah. through ball into Aubameyang at the back post. I think it was. So there was a slice of fortune, but boy, did he take the finish! Oh, well. and then that slide tackle just falling back into his path, and he drove it right into the bottom corner. And I think that was where. That was where most of the bed. I think that's came. quite literally what drew his nail for Arsenal fans. Harry Kane assisting Bukayo Saka in an awful derby. Especially after them chanting, you let your country down to him. Let's just touch briefly on the tactical insight in the second half, because there, there was less to talk about than in the first half, where most of the excitement lay. Spurs moved to a 4-2-3-1. They took off Deli Alley and put on Oliver Skip. And essentially... They didn't really show us too much no. in, the, in the in the second half. We didn't create too much. But then, on the other hand, I thought that we aimed to control ball possession and take this thing exactly. up the game a little bit rather than go full pelt and hit them for five or six. And I think once you go 3-0 up and you know your legs are going to have gone a little bit, to then sort of sit back and manage the game is probably the right way to go about it. And we sort of sat and said, come on. Can you break us down? And they couldn't really. They couldn't, no. And they did at one point where Son scored. Which was just sort of a lapse in con- concentration. Yeah, really. it wasn't the end of the world. And then after that, Arteta then decided to go right. I'm going to bring on a right and left back. Yeah. Well, Ainsley Maitland-Nile, we know he's a midfielder and a right back. Mm. But he was brought on as a right winger. And yeah. Nuno was brought on as a left winger. Essentially, to sit back in the back six as right and left wing backs mm. and then just have the responsibility to bomb on down the wing on the counter. So it was pretty basic tactics from Arteta on the counter in the second half. I personally would have quite liked to see Pepe and Lacazette come on to refresh the attacking line and really just try and mm. destroy them really in the second half and absolutely annihilate their morale yeah. to a further extent. But I can see where he was coming from. You, can be, you can be forgiven for just wanting to manage out that result. And Especially when the first half was so exciting. Exactly, yeah. They'd given us that moment. 
Okay, so it's time for this week's player ratings. They're going to be through the roof, aren't they? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to be asking you this week, Harold. Perfect. So, Aaron Ramsdale in goal, what are you giving him? 8.5. What a world-class save that was at the end. Oh, fantastic I would have given him a 9.5, but he conceded and Son shot was down the middle of the goal. He got a strong hand onto it, which tipped it into the top corner. I'm not really putting any blame on him, but I thought maybe he could have done better. But that save, that took a little deflection where he mm. had to tip it onto the bar. That's fantastic. Phenomenal. And again, some brilliant distribution. Absolutely. And his connection with the fans yeah. just riding us up to, to push the team on. Yeah. I love it. So 8.5 for Aaron. Okay. Sakahiro Tomiyasu. Absolutely pocketed Son. I know Son scored, but that was more centrally inside the pitch. Mm. Nine. I thought yeah. it was outstanding. He didn't lose anything. No. Won everything in the air. Passing was crisp. Yeah, really good. And and also offered a bit of an attacking threat. Yeah. He bombed on a little bit more. Uh, ben White. 8.5. Yeah. Really good. He was really good. Down from a nine only because Son's finish was perhaps in his zone of the box that yeah. he should have dealt with. However, his anticipation was really, really impressive. Yeah. His distribution was much better. Breaking lines really well. Yeah. Our first goal started with him trying to find a beautiful, almost reminiscent of David Luiz long ball mm. into Aubameyang. Yeah. And then winning the rebound. Yeah. Winning that header. Off he set the tone, I thought, really yeah. well. Uh, his partner, Gabriel. Equal, 8.5. Yeah. Colossal again. Won everything in he's the air. He's been brilliant since he's come back. I he's think the balance, the balance of those two is really perfect. For it a is. Back pairing. Uh, Kieran Tierney on the left-hand side. Going to give Kieran an 8.5 as well. Mm-hmm. I wanted to give him a 9, but I thought perhaps he didn't get enough crosses in the creative yeah. elements of his game. In the final third, but he was involved in Aubameyang's goal with a lovely pass. Brilliant pass. It was a Aubameyang. brilliant pass because he meant it as well. Yeah. It was pinpoint. Just to see that as well in such a short period of time. But I we were discussing that. after the match that he was really good in his 1v1 defending yeah. as well. Um, so moving on to the midfield two, Thomas Partey. Eight. Yeah. I thought that he didn't do anything spectacular, but he was there to shield. He was defensively strong. He put a lot of good blocks in. He set the tempo with a lot of good passes that broke the lines. Mm. He had one unbelievable long-range pass into Aubameyang. Yeah. Sort of from the right-back position. Yeah, which 78-yard pass. Nearly took down. His touch was just a bit off. Yeah. But no, Partey 8, good. Yeah. Jacker 7.5. Thought mm. he was good. Thought he was dogged. Thought he worked hard. Impressed with him playing a little bit more centrally and having some composure on the ball, which yeah. I worry about from time to time. And there was some good pressing from him as well. Yes, there was. And his leadership qualities are brilliant. We do know that. 7.5 with Xhaka. A few loose passes, which probably might take his rating well, Which is why he's not in the eights. And exactly. Uh, Kyle Saka on the right-hand side. 8.5. Actually, no, scratch that. Surely nine. not. Nine. Yeah. nine. Bordering a 9.5. I'm going to go for a 9. He what a brilliant. game. Um, unbelievable assist. A little step over, down the line, cut back. He was, took his finish beautifully as well. And, you know, I mean, we were saying this, that he, in in the previous two games, maybe hadn't got used to the new position that Mikel was asking him to left. play in. And now, first game back on the right, and He's just more, he looked more back to his best, isn't he? didn't he? He was um, superb. And in that second half, he took the mick out of Oliver, Oliver Skip. Oh, I think he was really told to did, track yeah. him, even though it wasn't his position. There was one point in the line where he did a 
bang bang yeah, his foot yeah, where you roll it one way and quickly call. the other yeah. way and then a step over and, a, and an Iniesta double touch oh. happy feet and then set the ball off into Smith Rowe some moments of magic from Saka nine Odegaard 8.5 I thought he was brilliant I thought he picked up spaces in between the lines I thought he set a load of our attacks up he mm. was instrumental in the first goal playing it out into Saka I thought he pressed like a madman I thought that he set the tempo really well for Bamiang in the press 8.5 and Smith Rowe on the left 9 yeah brilliant came inside picked the ball up linked the play up took his goal well creative Loved he it. just moves with it so well he doesn't he so nicely doesn't he and then our talisman Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang I'm going to give him an 8.5 because I thought that it was a massive improvement on the previous performances I thought he added some aerial um, competitiveness into his game where he oh, actually he went for the ball and won a fair few headers so yeah. it shows he can do it why doesn't he do it every week mm. because he can do it that was good his movement in beyond as it always is was superb his link up play was better as shown his goal the flick around the corner of Smith Rowe was lovely Fantastic. took the goal really really well I still think overall his link up play was lacking a little bit however because of the creativity of Smith Rowe and Odegaard in there it wasn't so apparent <clears throat> There were a few times where in 1v1s he sort of lost the ball and his touch was a bit off, mm. which is why he's not in a 9 or 9.5 because if perhaps he had a few more moments of magic where you thought, oh my God, he's really taken the game to Spurs, I maybe would have given him a 9.5 in man of the match. Yeah. But brilliant work, great, took the goal well, great leadership today. Yeah. And I don't think the substitutes were on long enough for us to give him a fair rating, so I'll just... I think it's Samuel Conger at 7. All right. He came on and did all right. Give him a seven. And Mikel Arteta. Nine. Brilliant. Yeah. Really, Got really. Everything spot on. Yeah. I, I, as I said earlier, I don't see how, if you're an Arsenal fan, I respect your opinion, whatever it is, but I don't see how after yesterday you can't back him, whether that's just until Christmas at least. Mm. Just get behind the team because within the stadium, the atmosphere in the last few games has yeah. been unreal. It's time for our weekly quiz, and in light of last week's increase of difficulty in Lowell's questioning, for me, I've set him some tough ones. I'm in trouble here, I think. You are in trouble. Starting with what is meant to be the easy question, which isn't too easy at all, I'm going to ask you, how many seconds after coming off the bench... We're going hard this week, Lowell. Seconds. How many seconds after coming off the bench did Lacazette score against Brighton away last season? I don't even remember him scoring against Brighton away. So Bakaya Saka's just turned down. Oh, yeah, I do remember that, actually. He's and he's spun. Yeah, okay. Yeah. How many seconds? Can, can I ask whether it was less than a minute? It was less than a minute. Okay. Do I get, like, within five seconds, or...? If it's... Okay, I'm going to tell you that it was under 30 seconds. Okay. And you don't get a within a period of time. This, this is what... This is the number that sprung to mind. Okay. Second question, in which year was AFC Wimbledon created? Just because we haven't discussed the League Cup game in midweek, I thought I'd drop in a little, a little question. In, in this is disgraceful. That. I have no shame this week because of how hard you made them last week. They weren't that hard. Quite a lot of our listeners um, got, got full marks. Under pressure, you could see why I didn't get them. Which year? I'll give you a clue. Do you want a clue? Yeah. Okay. This is a really easy clue because now I feel a bit guilty about giving you such hard questions. It's either in the year that you were born or the year that I was born. 
I'll cross out 1818. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know about the old MK Don's Wimbledon split off? No, I, 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 okay. I just remembered it yeah. as I like crossed out 1818. Well, that was actually the worst answer in history <laughs> on this quiz. Yeah. Okay, here's the hard one. There's going to be a bonus question. This is the hard one, yeah. This is right, a really sweet. hard one. And I'm going to give you some leeway on this one as well because okay. there are sort of aspects of it that you could get wrong that are kind of right. Okay. So the question is, how many academy graduates have scored in a North London derby in the Premier League era? So that's Spurs academy graduates and Arsenal academy graduates. Oh, God. Key part of this question is academy graduate. Okay. Um, so so do, do I get points for naming the players? No, you'll get a point if you name one player who wasn't an academy graduate but was in one of the academies. So do I have to name all the players? You don't have to name them. You just got to give, just me a give, me, give you a number. Okay, right. Let me give me a second. Take your time. So Smithrow, Saka, Kane, Ali. Think. Um, mm. Who else was an academy graduate? Think of our captain, our mm. most famous captain, Tony Adams. I've right, given you one. Um, in the Premier League era. Oh my God. Um, right, so I thought of five. There must be four more. So I'm going with mine. All right, I've got my three answers. Okay, cool. Let's go into the answers then. Right, so how many seconds after coming off the bench did Lacazette score against Brighton last season at the Amex? I've gone 26. Ooh, it is 21. That'd be a point for me, mate. Tough start for the lads. This is disgraceful. I'm sorry. You can you can hit me just as hard next week. <laughs> but then, then it, in like three weeks' time, what are our quizzes going to be like? It's going to be like name all the US presidents. <laughs> if we get into history on this podcast, we've done well for ourselves. <laughs> okay, what did you go for the year that AFC Wimbledon was created? 2002. Yes. Yay! There you go. I've helped you out a little bit there. I felt a bit guilty. I have gone too tough to be fair. And your answer for how many academy graduates have scored the North London Derby in the Premiership era? I've got nine. It was ten. Oh! And I would have accepted eleven because Jamie Redknapp was in the Spurs Academy, but he was a Bournemouth Academy graduate. Okay. I'll quickly oh. list off all the players. So you had Paul Dickoff, Tony Adams, Ray Parler, Cesc Fabregas. Parler. Oh, yeah. He was an Arsenal Academy graduate, not a Barcelona graduate. Yeah. Kieran Gibbs. Who was the downfall oh, wow. of my quiz last week? Yeah, I'm for rather than that. suggesting Podolski scored in the five-two, <laughs> idiot. Smithrow, Saka, Ledley King, oh. Harry Kane, and the last one. I'm not going to tell you because this is the bonus question. This is going to give you a chance to level up and make it two-two for this week. So and there not, is a bit of fair. And it's not Deli Ali. It's not Deli Ali. No, and I'm going to give you a clue as well for who this player was. Mm. Which Arsenal academy graduate scored? As a Spurs player in the North London derby. Adebayor? Is that your final answer? No. Good. Oh. The thing is, once you hear the name, you're going to know it as well. No, I don't know. Okay, the answer would have been David Bentley. Oh, I yeah. You. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's he always gets stick, oh. doesn't he, the Emirates? Oh, God. You don't have to give me an extra point for that for, 
for that That's for annoying. Me. That okay. That's for you to level up. Well, the scores going into the final quiz before someone has to buy someone dinner is Lowell Hornby, five. Harry Costa, four. Wow. Tight. Nick and neck. Probably going to win considering the fact you're going <laughs> to try and get revenge for this week's questions. That's true. So a perfect Sunday afternoon at the Emirates rounded up a pretty perfect Premiership week for us, wasn't it? Yeah. It's not over yet, though. Brighton can True. go top tonight if they beat Palace. In, in their a massive N25 derby. Weird rivalry. What is that? Sorry, Brighton and Palace fans, if you're listening. I don't know why. Quite like both of you as clubs, actually. Yeah, just don't know why. I just don't understand though. it. Actually, could somebody explain it to us? Yeah, that'd be great, actually. If, if someone could explain why you hate each other, that'd be, that'd be nice. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? Anyway... Brighton in top form go top of the league that's mental yeah, it, I mean it's a big really much bigger game that, than it looks on paper next Saturday I tell you what away at Brighton next Saturday is going to be three times game in difficulty than mm. yesterday was against Spurs they're a really good side they always have been I've always enjoyed watching them even last season yeah and they were good last season they just hadn't taken their chances they're finally converting the chances that they created and missed last year yeah and let's be real we, I don't think they'll finish in the top four or the top six they'll no. probably finish seventh or eighth they might push for the conference league this year yeah. you never know but it's exciting when a team that shouldn't be that high historically yeah. is at the top of the league in the first sort of quarter of the season it always makes for a fun story yeah exactly so, what were the big talking points of the weekend? We there were so many. Yeah, we had the early kickoff on Saturday was Chelsea versus Man City. Manchester City were outstanding. They were brilliant. This is why they're the best team in the world. Sorry, Chelsea fans. I hate you. And this is not biased, but you do not have to be the best team to win a cup competition. That's effectively what you did. I do genuinely think Chelsea are the second best team in the world yeah. behind Manchester City. And I know you're all going to say, oh, we beat them on the big stage when it mm. really mattered and therefore we're one and they're two. But I just think the way they play football yeah. and the way they can win 38 games or 34 out of 38 games in the league mm. season playing that football makes them the best team because they're the most consistently outstanding team, in my opinion. And it was a great 12-30 round of games for the Invincibles. Oh, it was. Just making sure that Chelsea got an L. Yeah, Chelsea United with an L, got an L. United with an L. Liverpool still don't have that L, Liverpool but they dropped points. Close. I, United, weird penalty at the end, wouldn't Very it? Very strange. We need to talk about Emiliano Martinez. Oh. I think I was discussing with our mate... Unreal shithousery. I was discussing with our mate Raf, who we're probably going to get on in the international break for our first guest, which would be exciting, mm. that... We haven't enjoyed some of his comments about Arsenal since he's left, actually. Yeah. We feel like he's getting a bit too big for his boots after the Copa America win. Yeah. However, I thoroughly enjoyed him it taking was, the piss out of United It fans. was really good to see him dancing in front of them. And, and it's it just like, all right, guys, you sound, sign Ronaldo, you sign for yeah. so, just pipe down a little yeah. bit. And it was really quite funny to, just before the penalty was getting taken, for to see him go up to Ronaldo, just begging go, him you, to take the yeah, penalty. You, yeah. you take it. I back myself. Yeah. However big for his boots that is, I enjoy it. That's what you yeah. want from your keeper in the and penalty it, and it, it unnerves the player taking it if it's not Ronaldo. Oh, exactly. And he, he, he achieved what he aimed to do. Really? Yeah. Just touching back on the City-Chelsea game, because I think we should talk about how good Manchester City were for a reason. Mm. Too short, clearly got it wrong on the day, sticking with the 3-5-2 that beat Spurs rather than 3-4-3. Yeah. It was too defensive. They were they were hard to break down in, in their own box, but the rest of the pitch, they offered nothing. It was just yeah. a long ball counter-attack with Timo Werner and Lukaku, which didn't work. I think that Bernardo Silva might be the best Premier League midfielder at the moment. 
I think he's unbelievable. Wow. Every time I watch him, he does everything correct. That is a bold, bold shot. Name a player, and I don't think he'd be better than him. Well, I, I don't think he's the best Manchester City midfielder. I think he is. Grealish, Foden, I, De Bruyne. These guys aren't playing in midfield. De Bruyne has, but De Bruyne's been a bit injured. Bernardo Silva's played every game and he's been 9 out of 10s every game. I just think right now on form he's the best midfielder in the league. Fair enough. He's just, he's one of my, fa- he, he's one of my favourite players. He has been for the last two or three years to watch. He's a beautiful player. I thought Rodri played really well. Yeah, he's a really good player. That's what they missed from the final in the Champions League in my opinion. Just yeah. somebody just to protect the back line and on the Chelsea calendar. down a bit. Yeah. And then, what do we have in the three o'clock games? We had a fantastic game at Ellen Road, which yes. finished 2 1 to West Ham. Which West Ham sort of. Was, was, was Smash and Grab be harsh? Or, mm, I don't I know. Think I, the Leeds I think were top in the first half, for sure. I think a draw was probably the fair result. Yeah. Um, but what a goal from Antonio at the end. What a player. He's turned into such a good centre forward. He has, hasn't he? He's just so hard to. He's one of those players where you look at him and you think, he's not necessarily the best at football, but. He's one of the hardest to play against. Exactly. You wouldn't want to play against him. At no, it'd be back. frightening, wouldn't it? Yeah. Uh, and then we have Everton, who... who... They're flying. They're level with City, Chelsea, United on 13 points. Yeah. One point behind Liverpool. And, I mean, despite getting taken apart by Villa last week, who Villa are actually flying as well at the moment. They are, after that. Um, Everton do look like much a much stronger outfit than they have done. And we'll be hoping they take another three points off Man United next week and then everybody will probably be gassing Villa up, uh, not Villa, sorry, Everton up, Mm. suggesting that they're possibly in the top four. But this is what you want at this point of the season, some excitement. You want everyone to think... Let's be real, Everton are going to drop off more than Man United are, so that'd be brilliant if they could continue their form into next weekend. And then the 5.30 game was a cracker, wasn't it? I had work and I watched the first 10 minutes and and in that 10 minutes, Salah's nutmeg the keeper, clips off the line, uh, and Buemo's chip the keeper, Matic clears it off the line. I think, oh my God. I'm going to miss. I'm going to miss a cracker, a scorcher I gave in. I go downstairs to the bathroom half through my shift just to check the score and I couldn't believe that it was 3-3. Oh, what a game that was. Tell me a bit about it, because I haven't watched it. I, I, I mean, the atmosphere was amazing. Uh, I, you could hear it through the screen. and it's called the, What's it called? The Brentford Community? The Brentford Community Stadium. or another, yeah. yeah. Pretty dead name, a bit like Spurs' stadium's name. Like, Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Yeah, whatever. Um, Walker's atmosphere in there, though, isn't it? Yeah, it really was. And, um, you know, I think, I think Liverpool sort of took Brentford for granted a little bit. I mean, Brentford... Took the lead, um, but then Liverpool, when they went two one up, I think they thought right, that's it. And then Brentford came back to two all. Uh, obviously, Liverpool then, then Curtis Jones scored a screamer, didn't he? Yeah, to make it three two. And I think when that goal went in, they sort of dropped off a little bit and thought, the the oh, we've we've won this game. And Salah had a really good opportunity when he was clean through on goal, which he missed. And a couple more of them, but Brentford just wouldn't lie down, and it was amazing to see. They seem like spirited team, don't they? Yeah, but oh god, and I really love their manager, and I love telling people this: Brentford are the only team in Europe's top five leagues that employ a that have a teacher on their um, salary list. Really? Yeah. So they they employ a history teacher who gives pre- gives and prepares like an hour and a half lecture. Before, on the history of the club? Uh, on, on the history of that fixture. Before well, that every fixture game. within that club? Yeah. That is genius. It's good, isn't it? I, I really like that. And then Sunday... The early kickoff was dire. The early Southampton Wolves. Really lovely to see Raul Jimenez score. It was a yeah, beautiful a great goal, goal as well. well. Great goal. 
but no, pretty boring match. I was watching that with a few beers inside the Emirates pre-kickoff, and yeah. it was nothing to write no. home about no. at all. Nothing that we really need to discuss there. And then we pumped Spurs, and that was enjoyable. Yeah, perfect then, day. And then tonight it's it's Palace, Brighton, and was fairy tales, fairy tale, fairy tale side <laughs> of my football heart wants me to see Brighton go top of the league because it would be amazing. And I quite like the way they play football. However, from an Arsenal perspective, if yeah. Palace beat them, then we beat them next week. And it and is the is better in for us. charge. Oh, I hadn't even considered that. There you go. There's another reason to want Palace to win. That's it for today's episode, which has been a smashing episode. I'm sure all you gooners are buzzing around the world and we wish you a smashing week. Take care and see you after Brighton. Thank you.